Welcome to Lyme Time. I'm Allie from the Tick Chicks. We are all more than Lyme disease and chronic illness, and together we stand with you to overcome and rise. I'll bring you closer to the experts in cutting-edge treatments and even a few unexpected ways of healing. I'll ask the questions you want answers to regarding Lyme disease and successful ways of getting you closer to 100%. We are in this together and will not be defined by Lyme. So we are joined today by a very, very special guest, and I'm so excited to be able to talk with her. Her name is Dorothy Kupcha Leland, and she has co-authored a book um, specifically for parents of, of children with Lyme disease. And, and her daughter became severely disabled with what turned out to be Lyme disease in 2005. And her daughter was 13 at the time. And it was a long and difficult road to recovery. Um, back in 2005, we were still learning a lot about Lyme disease and uncovering so much. So Dorothy had to do a lot on her own. Um, her daughter is 29 today and feeling much better. And so in her reflections in her book, it's called When Your Child Has Lyme Disease, A Parent's Survival Guide. And uh, let me just tell you that anybody out there with a child with Lyme disease or caretaking Lyme disease, I would highly recommend um, referring to this book often. Um, Dorothy's currently involved with Lyme disease education and advocacy. So she has really used this moment in her life and in her family's life to devote everything she has to advocating for Lyme disease. Um, she's now a vice president and communications director for LymeDisease.org, and she writes a blog called Touched by Lyme. And she's also managing editor of the various blogs that run on LymeDisease.org. And she's also very involved with publishing with her online quarterly journal, The Lyme Times. It has been in publication since 1989 and recently has joined the digital format. So LymeDisease.org, which among other things, functions as a communications hub for the Lyme community, and it operates as a Lyme patient registry called Lyme, My Lyme Data. And we're gonna get more into that in just a few minutes, but first of all, I would love to welcome you. Welcome, Dorothy. Thank you very much, it's nice to be here. Thank you, and it's so nice to have you on here. Um, I know that your, your research and work and dedication is such a beacon of light for so many um, people out there searching for answers. Maybe there are people listening today whose child was just recently diagnosed or um, that they're caretaking somebody who was recently diagnosed. And um, I, just, I just can't say enough praise about your publication. And I just wanna start out with you being able to tell us a little bit about your story with your daughter. How was your life before and during and after her Lyme diagnosis? Well, as, as you mentioned, it, it started, our story really started in, in 2005. And up until then, I mean, mom, dad, brother, sister, pretty, pretty average, normal family. And uh, one day, my daughter, who was 13, fell and um, injured her wrist in a soccer game. And in a most bizarre thing, it seemed to set off for, for a few days. It was like she had a hurt wrist. And then it was her knees hurt. And then it was her ankles hurt. And then it was her back hurt. It was like it set off a complete body-wide pain reaction where she was in intense pain all of the time and nothing would help. And you would go to the doctor and they would say, well, we x-rayed the wrist, they did an MRI of the wrist, I believe, and it, there's nothing wrong with it. And so clearly she must be faking it. <laughs> and it was like, excuse me? <laughs> and it was just, she was getting worse and worse and worse. It was hard on the whole family. This is very different from people who know they have a tick bite and, and you know, their story is important too, but in our case, we were not aware of a tick bite 
a neighbor of mine happened to say, gee, have you ever thought about Lyme disease? And I'm like, went in and Googled it and didn't know that. Well, I'll ask the doctor about it. And he said, oh, no, can't be Lyme disease. Can't absolutely be Lyme disease. And, and why? I said, why? And he said, because there's no Lyme disease around here. We, we live in Davis, California. He said specifically, there's no Lyme disease in Davis, California. And I said, well, you know, we don't spend all our time here. And I was a Girl Scout leader, and we would go hiking and camping with the Girl Scouts and with our family. And so we were in lots of places that I now know have ticks and tick diseases, but we were not aware of that. So it took um, a good long time. Well, actually, I realized compared to a lot of people, not so long time. It took about nine months to get a Lyme diagnosis. And at the time, we thought that was forever. I realized from talking to a lot of people, sometimes it's 10 years or, or more. And uh, anyway, so basically we, the information, you know, 2005 was very different than, than this year. You know, it's like we, um, there wasn't, you know, Facebook didn't exist yet. Uh, no, no Twitter, no Pinterest, no Instagram. Oh my gosh, it was the dark ages. <laughs> there were email, um, there, there, were, there were online support groups. And there was one that actually was part of the organization that I'm not part of, LymeDisease.org. But that, that particular online group doesn't exist anymore. It's in a different form. But there was, we used to have a network of, there was California Lyme, Nevada Lyme, New York Lyme. It's like a network of state-based things. And I somehow came across California Lyme and started talking to people. And that's how I found a doctor. That's how I found information about, you know, what to do. And it was, it was, it was very, it was very difficult. And even when we got to the doctor, the tendency is to, you know, Lyme literate doctor, good guy, did a, you know, did a great job for us. But when you're just starting out, you think, oh, now we got a diagnosis. Now we got this. We're done. We got this. And that's not what happens. And uh, so, so it takes a lot longer than that. And there was still, it was still a really long time. My daughter was in a wheelchair for three years and um, eventually left that behind, but still had, had other issues. And so the short version is it was a long, hard slog. And I've since met other families, heard from other families and some of the parts of that story are the same for them and some of them are very different. But I would say one of the things is the same is it's a really hard slog for anybody going through it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, and so in hindsight, do you, you don't, you, to this day, you don't real, really know where she got and, and was infected with Lyme disease. Not specifically, but I have looked at um, maps of California where infected ticks have been found, and we've been to a lot of them. <laughs> we've hiked, we've camped, and my daughter was always somebody when she was a little kid uh, that used to roll around in the dirt and everything. And I have, I have reason. She did have very weird symptoms that would come and go, starting when she was about six. And even fevers that would just, you know, I was even keeping track of them on the calendar for a while, long before any of this other happened, when she was about six. And she would have a fever that would last for 24 hours. And then a month later, she would have it again. Mm. And gee, doesn't that sound like relapsing fever? Doesn't that sound like Myomotai, which is since, you know, been found to be pretty prevalent in California ticks. And, uh, but, you know, that wasn't on anybody's radar screen. And when you went to the doctor for your annual checkup so you could go to Girl Scout camp, they'd say, well, have you been having any issues? And I'd say, well, you know, she's been having these weird fevers. And they'd say, oh, well, she looks fine now. <laughs> and that was, that was as far as that got. And there were there, there just there were other there were other bizarre symptoms that came and went. You know, if something 
clears up, you just figure, you shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well, you know, that's behind us and you go on. But at one point early in this, I went and got all of her medical records and from the get-go. And I went through and found things that I had forgotten about. And she'd actually had a lot of weird symptoms starting from about age six. And so I suspect that perhaps perhaps she was bitten by a tick uh, in one of our times when we were camping. And it's just, you know, particularly if it's a nymph, you know, a nymph looks like a speck of dirt. And my kid was always dirty <laughs> when she was out playing. You know, your legs are dirty, your arms are dirty. You don't sit there and identify one little speck of dirt and say, oh, that one looks different. Right. So um, anyway, no, in answer to your question, we never identified it clearly. Right. And, and um, you, you know, you write about the nymph ticks. And I'm just curious to know, do you think that the injury then triggered some sort of inflammatory response? Or what, what's your best guess there? My best guess is that yes, because I have heard from other people, I've been told, I, you know, I've been to a lot of Lyme conferences and stuff in my day. And, uh, and that, that I, I remember one doctor specifically saying that very often um, patients that come to him, maybe even they remember a tick bite three or four years ago, but they weren't, um, you know, they, they weren't bothered by it at that time. They never had anything. And then all of a sudden they were in a car accident or mm -hmm. their spouse died or, you know, something really traumatic. And then suddenly they have symptoms of Lyme disease. Well, the car accident didn't give them Lyme disease, you know, so, so it was, my sense of it is, is that it was already marinating in their body and, and their immune system was holding it at bay. And um, as I say, my daughter was, was healthy overall, but she did have these little weird episodes, but then they would just clear up. And, and, you know, it was just like, oh, well, kids get a 24 hour bug, you know, it's, it's a 24 hour bug every month, <laughs> you know, life cycle of a tick, I mean, of a spirochete, you know, so it's just, uh, who knows, who knows? Some, some of these things we'll never know the answer to. We, we might not ever know, but uh, very, very similar to mine too. I was always out in the woods when I was little running around barefoot was my favorite thing to do in the summertime. And we never, ever thought about ticks at all. I mean, I had ticks occasionally throughout my childhood. Uh, I think our immune system is at a benefit there. And then when we get older, maybe there's a time and a place where our immune system just can't take it anymore. I was also a little bit, I never was the picture of health growing up. I was just sort of a tiny bit behind, you know, everybody else. And, and so um, I bet a lot of people out there can relate to that. When, when you look back and now that she's, you know, it's now what, 19, 13 years later, can you talk a little bit about um, her, her process of becoming um, better and, and what that looked like and what types of treatments she took from time to time? Well, um, they started her on antibiotics and we had the Dickens of a Herx. <laughs> and I do think that um, some of the doctors have a little different um, philosophy of, uh, you know, more detoxification and maybe starting more gently and that kind of thing. You know, at that time, I am not, I'm not criticizing the doctor. I'm just saying that our experience was she just, she, it was, but she did, a, she did a lot of um, antibiotics, which helped in some ways. She did a lot of, uh, we went through a lot of different detoxification kinds of things, which helped in some ways. We did um, herbal support for the immune system and all the different kinds of things that herbal support can help. And that helped in some ways. In terms of getting her out of the wheelchair, the thing that was the most helpful was upper, chi upper cervical chiropractic which uh, we were advised by another teenager with Lyme that she had, at that time, they didn't have the, 
the Facebook yet, but there were some uh, little email groups that had started out and somebody said, oh, you ought to go to this, you know, this guy and he does this stuff. And uh, I would, you know, she asked me, can we do this? And see, she'd reached a point at that point where I was coming up with all these ideas and she didn't want anything to do with them. And then, but somebody that was one of her peers said, why don't you try this? And I said, I'll look into it. And we looked into it and it's a specialized kind of chiropractic that just focuses on the, the neck, cerv you know, cervical vertebrae of the neck. And darn if that wasn't the piece of the puzzle for, for that, that wasn't everything she needed, but it got her largely pain-free and out of the wheelchair after about two months of treatment. Oh my gosh. I and love stories like this. This was, and, and the day she walked was August 8th of 08, which is 080808. And that was the day that the Chinese were having the Olympics and they had chosen that day because 080808 was a lucky number. Mm -hmm. And so we have always remembered that. That was our lucky number. And I like to say we had our own Olympics. <laughs> we had the walking Olympics. And um, you know, we have video, you know, video of her, you know, taking those first steps and whatever. Now she still had Lyme, she still had Bartonella, she still had, but just like Everybody that has Lyme isn't in a wheelchair. I mean, the, the, that took care of certain symptoms that she had that made it a lot easier to, to function <laughs> if you're not in pain all the time. She had had for three years, the only way she could sleep was she had to have a hospital bed that could be, you know, at a slant because it was too painful to be, you know, down flat and too painful to be up straight. And so and even her wheelchair was a reclining wheelchair where she was at that same angle. And we, we got her a new bed. <laughs> we got her a new bed. We did all kinds of things. You know, we were celebrating. And, and uh, it was, she was, uh, she was in high school at that time. And it was, I think it was, I think it was going into her senior year. And uh, maybe, maybe junior year. <laughs> It's been a while. I guess it was junior year. And, and it just really, um, that alone changed her life. But she still had a lot of issues uh, that, you know, had to do. And actually, Bartonella, there's, there's become a lot more is known about Bartonella now. And there's better testing and, you know, potentially better treatments. But Bartonella is really a stinker and causes lots of bad stuff. And I, again, my personal opinion that sometimes when people have certain kinds of symptoms, you know, it may be because of Bartonella is part of, they have Lyme too, but, but Bartonella really can, can um, you know, be a bear. It can be a bear to, to, to deal with. And, and so uh, it was really, well, I lost track of where I was going with that. <laughs> I, I think you were basically saying that was a major turning point in your in her in her health journey, and you know, getting that chiropractic attention. Same, same here. I always say I kind of started. I started where I thought I should have started um, with my journey, and and why chiropractic was at the. It was like my last hurrah, my last like ditch effort to find any relief. And I was just kind of just walking by this chiropractic office. And I remembered somebody else swearing by this doctor. And I, I just thought, okay, I mean, I'll try it. I have nothing to lose. And um, at the time, I couldn't even lay down on his table. I couldn't drive. Uh, my car. It was just so painful to drive. And so that's where I started. And he put me on a program that really helped me as well. Um, again, it, we're not saying it cures all, but it was a turning point for me, for sure. So, um, and, and how is your daughter doing today? Well, um, she's actually doing very well. Um, she had some, you know, I, um, the book came out in 2015. 
and uh, you know, so things that weren't included in that book. Uh, you know, she went she went to college, and and then she ended up having actually our our book doesn't deal with mold at all, and mold is actually a huge issue for a lot of people. Again, it gets all bollocksed up with Lyme and Bartonella and everything else. Uh, but she was going to college up in Portland, Oregon, and a lot of the buildings were old building, oldie moldy buildings. And she just started having, you know, this huge, well, it's not even a relapse because it wasn't the same symptom she had before, but she was in really bad shape. Uh, seemed like there was all this new stuff coming on. And, and it, but, but again, we had resources available of people to go to and, and we ended up, there was a, a, a mold specialist who was affiliated with her Lyme doctor and, and uh, she ended up going to him for, for several years. And that was, that was very helpful. And, you know, there have been other issues that have come up but she is um, she's 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 really doing very well. She's married. She lives in Chandler, Arizona, and she is a um, a speech therapist at an elementary school. And uh, one of the things when she was bedridden in in junior high, she she was interested in sign language in learning American sign language. Actually, after she'd seen a movie about. Helen Keller. She became interested in that. And you know, there's little YouTube videos and things like that. And when, when she was still in the wheelchair, it turns out there was a local class in our town that you could go to one time a week to learn sign language. And so even when she was too sick to do any other schooling, uh, she could manage that. We would go and she would do that one time a week. Well, then once she got out of the wheelchair and she was doing other things, she continued with, with sign language. And, uh, and so that became something that was really, um, uh, really important to her, to, to her getting better and to feeling, um, you know, just, just, just being interested, you know, in things. And so although she does not work with deaf students now, she did work at a deaf school for a while, but she's, she's in a, like a regular elementary school doing speech. She, she graduated with speech therapy. And, and um, but, the, but the sign language was something that was really important to her. And as kind of a side gig now, she teaches some online sign language classes to children. But um, again, I, 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 I was going somewhere with that. <laughs> I don't remember, but, if, but I, if I could say, it's important for people to have, even when people are in bed and sick and everything else, it's important for them to have something that captures their imagination. And in her case, it captured her imagination to learn sign language. And she also did things like um, her brother gave her his old computer when he got a new computer. And she learned, again, back when she was in bed, she learned how to shoot and edit little videos uh, on it. And that was something that even though she was in a lot of pain, even though she was often too sick to even get out of bed, that was something that that just captured her imagination. And, and that's one of the things that I, that I try to encourage. It can be hard because when somebody's really sick and everything hurts, they don't wanna find out about something else, you know? But, but if, if your kid, if, assuming it's a child that, that's the one that's in pain, if, if, if the child has anything that, that really captures them, that they like Minecraft or, or whatever, it's like if you can build on that, if you can help them do that, that I think that can really pay dividends because she still makes little videos and just posts them on her Facebook page or YouTube channel and stuff like that now, just as sort of a hobby. And um, and so and as I say, the sign language was something that really led to her um, career, even though that's not directly what she's doing now. You know, she is a speech therapist, so it's. Um, Anyway, it's just that I, I, I think it's interesting. All of us are like that. If there's something that we're really interested in, sometimes it'll override the fact that we're not feeling well. And yeah, I agree. I, I agree. And so I, I always think things, little things around us are medicine. 
you know, whether it's, it's writing or journaling or doing needlepoint or, you know, making videos, like you say, these are all little types of medicine that add to our mental health progress. And it's extremely important that you brought that up. And I love, I love that point. Um, and, and Dorothy, I wanted to ask you, as a, as a caretaker of someone with Lyme disease, can you reflect back on your own personal journey, taking your daughter aside for a second, and, and let us know what types of things that you did that kept you grounded as a person and focused and mentally strong for her? Well, I have to say there was a lot of time when I didn't feel like I was any of those things. Uh, but it was, but you still, you know, you got to get through the day. Um, I, um, you know, would meditate when I could, couldn't always, <laughs> sometimes it just, just wasn't, wasn't capable of doing that. Um, I, I had, um, a few dear friends that were very good about that. If I wanted to talk about it, I could. And if I didn't want to talk about it, I could. And like, I have a, a good friend neighbor named Jill, and we would take walks. And sometimes I would be pouring out my heart to her. And other times we would be talking about the most trivial of things, because that's what I needed was just to, you know, just to talk about trivial things. And so I really do appreciate that. I also was lucky enough to find, um, with the help of, um, with our doctor recommended, uh, a, a Lyme literate therapist that I that I would have sessions with over the phone for me. My daughter was seeing a therapist for her issues as well, but I I needed it. And the first time that I tried. Um, somebody local. It wasn't, uh, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, therapy, <laughs> if the person who's doing the therapy has no understanding of Lyme disease, they can be more harmful than helpful. So it's not like any therapist is going to do the job. You need to have somebody that has some understanding of the issues that are related, even if they don't know Lyme disease, the issues that are related to chronic illness. And, uh, and so I frankly found it very helpful. And this was back, they say this was 15 years ago. Now there's all this, you can do Zoom calls with, with therapists and everything. But at that time, there were very few that would even do telephone sessions. Mm -hmm. But I was doing a telephone session with somebody which helped me because I couldn't leave the house. <laughs> you know, I had, to, I had to be with my daughter. We're on call 24 seven. Yeah. So it was, uh, and so, so that was, that was very helpful for me. And then something else that really helped, uh, and, and really led to what I'm doing now is that, uh, was Lyme disease advocacy. And, um, I live in Davis, which isn't that far from Sacramento, the state capital. And so there were a couple of occasions. I weren't, they weren't big, big events or marches or anything like that, but there were a couple of, of occasions where there was something happening, you know, at the Capitol. And I was, you know, I arranged it so that I could go. My husband stayed home from work with our daughter so I could go. Uh, the, the, the state has a, it's LDAC, Lyme Disease Advisory Committee. And I went, at, just as a member of the audience, I went to that, I remember, was one of the things. And then I started, um, uh, I, I think I tell this story in my book, that uh, when um, Andy Wilson was starting to do um, Under Our Skin, I didn't know anything about him, but he posted something somewhere and they were, they were raising money for it. They were in the middle of, of doing, you know, what they were doing. And it sounded like a good idea to me. And I sent him a hundred bucks and said, cause they were, they were seeking donations. And I said, you know, sorry, I can't send more, but uh, I said, can I do anything? At home. I said, I can't leave the house, but I said, I'm pretty good at internet research. Can I do anything for you? And he sent me some things that just, it was like tracking down things on the internet, you know, that they were trying to find, you know, this or that. And, and so I sat, you know, my daughter would be asleep, it would be midnight, and I'd be at the computer, and he had sent me this list. 
And I sent him back the next day with everything, you know, with an answer of everything that he'd asked for. And that made me feel good. As I said, I didn't, you know, they were doing all kinds of research about all kinds of things. There was one thing in the movie that, that they made a reference to, and I thought, I, I got that one. I found that one. <laughs> so, it, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to claim any credit for the movie. The movie was great. But, but it was like, that was what really got me going and saying, you know what, this has to change and, and we need to do something about it. And so uh, in time, I got involved with what was then called the California Lyme Disease Association or CALDA. And then we, some years back, we changed our name to LymeDisease.org, which had been our website all along, and uh, because we really are of national scope. And I was um, in one of the early meetings that I went to, uh, Lorraine Johnson, who's the, you know, the CEO of the organization. She's in the Los Angeles area. And there was some kind of meeting down there, and I was there, and I had met her for the first time, and we went. And um, it seems like we went to a coffee shop or something and we were sitting there talking. And I said, you know, what I really want to do is, I said, I want there to be like a news hub where we can go and find out information about Lyme disease. Because, you know, the, the, you know you're probably familiar with Dr. Jones in Connecticut and the various you know, legal troubles that he'd been having. Mm -hmm. When that was going on, the only way that I even knew it was going on is that I was would participate in something called LimeNet, which is an online support group. And somebody would post, oh, did you hear what happened about Dr. Jones? And then somebody said, oh yeah, there's gonna be a hearing on such and such. And I would go and do a Google search for all the newspapers in Connecticut and other places like that. And at that time, there was never any coverage that showed up about it. And I said, there should be, and that was right at the time that the Huffington Post was starting to be its thing. And I said, you know, kind of like the Lyme version of the Huffington Post. Now, the Huffington Post has changed a lot over the years, but I remember that was my idea of it and, and that we could have blogs and we could report on things that other people did and everything. And so we started in January um, of 09, I think was our first blog. And then that has just sort of grown into, you know, into more. And, and I write a blog called Touched by Lyme, which really can be about anything I want it to be. And uh, Lorraine writes something called Lyme Policy Wonk, which tends to be more policy issues, law, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and then uh, we get, we do news items and we do um, sometimes press releases. And, and we do um, some, sometimes people's personal stories that get sent in. And so it's just sort of grown to where I kind of manage all that. Oh, and Lonnie, Lonnie Markham writes the Lime Psy column. And she's also the mother of a daughter of similar age. I think her daughter's a few years younger than my daughter. But uh, similar stories in many ways. And now, now mom's an activist. And, and Lonnie's really into the science of things and really likes to write about a specific study and whatever. And uh, good for her. <laughs> I'm personally less interested in that. But, uh, you know, so we try, to have, we try to have a mix of all that stuff. Well, it's an exceptional site. And I really want to encourage anyone listening to this to immediately sign up on your your subscription list, it's called LymeDisease.org. Uh, it's where I have personally found endless amounts of, of research and tips and all sorts of good things. It's all, it is very much like a newspaper. You can, you can click on different buttons depending on what you want us to, to go into. You can click on one button to find a Lyme literate physician in your area, which is huge. And, and that alone is, it's just is a huge service to our community. Um, so, so I, I'm a big fan of that. And I, I get your, 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 your newsletters along the way. And I just, I, it's always a wealth, a treasure trove of information. And, um, I, I feel like it's, it's in the hub of those sort of 
two or three basic websites for Lyme disease that you can always depend on. And that's, um, that's fact-based fact and, and it's just a great resource for everyone. And I want to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, I know a part of LymeDisease.org is called My Lyme uh, Data, which more than 14,000 patients have enrolled in currently. And it provides over 3 million data points on Lyme disease demographics, tick bites, diagnoses, symptoms, lab tests, co-infections, treatments, and quality of life. So I would love to hear more about that program. Okay. Well, um, Myland Data is uh, what's called a patient registry. And interestingly, there are patient registry, the CDC does a patient registry for ALS, for instance, and the, the National Institutes of Health has a list of 75 patient registries on their website for, for, for different diseases. And uh, it's a way of collecting information about a certain population. That had never been done for Lyme disease. And yeah. so when you come out and say, you know, the, the um, shall we say the other side of the, of, of the Lyme debate will say, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, Lyme patients don't have this or that, don't have this or that symptom or whatever. Um, how, how do you know? <laughs> Nobody's ever collected the information. How do you know? And so this actually started five years ago. We launched it in November of 2015. And it was, it's worked. It, you have to go through... Um, you know, something kind of called the IRB, which is this official thing to be, you know, for, for um, uh, medical studies to be considered legitimate, you have to go through this certain kind of vetting. And we, we did that. And, uh, and we work with, um, there's a platform that is where all of this is done in a very secure way online. So it's not our personal website it's like this is this you know it's kind of like in a lockbox <laughs> and so um so so somebody goes and they signs on they sign on and <clears throat> then start adding information about yourself yeah. you don't you don't give your name but but you um uh you start putting information about yourself and like how long have you been first of all you have to have been diagnosed with lyme disease you know, there are people around who think they might have Lyme disease, but they haven't been diagnosed, and that's not the population that we're going for. These are people who have been diagnosed with Lyme disease. And how, you know, you put your various, um, you know, do, do, did you know whether you had a tick bite or not? You, you know, how many doctors have you been to? How many, you know, how long, how many doctors did you have to go to before you got your diagnosis? Interestingly, um, a great, it's like 10, most of them have to go to 10 or more. And, um, it, you know, so, so then it starts, you know, do you consider your, and, and I don't remember the order that things are in, but you're asked questions like, do you consider yourself well, or are you still sick? And then if you consider yourself well, the way the, the, you know, questionnaire goes, you get asked different questions than if you consider yourself sick. And then there's questions about what kinds of treatments that you had, you know, and, and what kinds of doctors you went to. And so, you know, did you go to a rheumatologist or, you know, endocrinologist? And, and you know, what, what have you been, you know, what have you been misdiagnosed with? Uh, you know, just, just a variety, just lots and lots of information. And you get all of those you know, you get all of that information and it's like, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> we work with data scientists at um, UCLA, the University of Washington are two. I think there's some others. Those are two I remember offhand. Uh, the data scientists at um, UCLA got, uh, got a grant uh, from the National Science Foundation for a whole lot of money to, to work with data from MyLine Data. And so they, uh, because there's a whole lot of things about where you try to arrange, uh, you know, sort of information, you try, to, you try to get a picture that emerges. And so something that has just, and, and there have been a number of um, peer-reviewed studies that have been published based on information from MyLine Data. 
including one that just just came out a couple of days ago. And that particular one focuses on people who consider themselves well. And if you consider yourself well, and how long did it take and who, you know, what, what treatments did you do and whatever. And I would say, obviously there's a lot of, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of variation from people, but I would say most, a, a great, a great deal uh, of the people who said they are well had some antibiotic therapy was part of what they did. Got it. And that doesn't mean that that's the answer. It's not that you should just start out and willy nilly and start taking antibiotics, but that that really, uh, but that, that most of the people that were well, antibiotics were part of the picture. And I would certainly say that's the case for my daughter, who is a member of my Lyme data. I'm not a member because I don't have Lyme disease. <laughs> but, you know, antibiotics were an important part of her treatment, but so was upper cervical chiropractic. You know, so it's like, you know, the sense that I get for a lot of people, they have to figure out what works best for them. And, you know, for some might go heavier on one thing than on another. But uh, that was that was really something that came out. Another aspect that, that came out, you know, the 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 typical typical uh, you know advice from the IDSA and the CDC is that Lyme disease only requires two to four uh, weeks of antibiotics and and don't take anything more than that. Darn you! And so uh, in this case, almost everybody that reported being better and had antibiotics had longer than two to four weeks, <laughs> some of them substantially longer than that. Okay. And another important point that came out was that most of the people that got bitter got, went to what we consider an LLMD, Lyme literate medical doctor. And it, they, they word it differently. It's that, uh, um, you know, Lyme doctor who focuses on tick-borne illness or something, whatever the wording was. But the basic was, it's the LLMDs who who are curing most of the people that are getting cured, and and that is not. And again, those are people that are in our study, and so there are people um, I've heard of who have said that you know they got better and they never had antibiotics. And my question to them is please join, <laughs> please join, you know, enroll in MyLine Data and, and let us learn from your experience. And, uh, and so it's not, you know, we don't come out with, um, we don't tell people how they should treat. And, but we think it's very, you know, it's very um, informative that most of the people that have gotten better, antibiotics have been part of the picture they've been longer than two to four weeks and they've been under the guidance of somebody that knows what they're de doing, you know, dealing with. And that's really helpful for those listening that are currently taking antibiotic therapy and feeling probably lower than their lowest point before they started antibiotic treatment. So it's important to note that yes, they do help. They do work. Um, they may not be the cure all or the end of the end of the road for for some people, but they're they're definitely an important part of of the journey. Um, I'm wondering. You may not want to get into this, but I'm just you know. Did you read the latest Bloomberg article? Oh yes, <laughs> I read it, and it was uh, talking about it was it was based on. Uh, first of all, a report that the that the CDC put out a number of years dissing Lyme treatment and the, the, the notion of chronic Lyme and all of that. And at that time, I put out a blog about going through poking holes and all of the things that were, you know, that I thought were wrong with that CDC study. And, and this... Um, uh, you know, this article, the Bloomberg article, basically accepted that article, you know, totally, you know, we, we accept all of that as gospel. And then uh, they went around and, and, you know, had the usual suspects saying the usual trash. And it was not, um, you know, 
it, 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 it was not helpful. I don't think it was helpful to anybody. And, uh, you know, I think that there are, um, you know, even studies, as I say, that, that show that uh, antibiotics help a lot of people. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to help you. Some people are allergic to antibiotics. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not, I, I think part of the problem is when people keep looking at something like it's black and white. <laughs> and actually, you know, Lyme disease is a very complex illness. And it can, and, you know, it, it depends on what kind of person, you know, in terms of your health, you know, what, where you are when you got sick and, or when, you know, if you got bitten by the tick or whatever. And, and you know, it's, there's an awful lot of, you know, that's part of, you know, my complaint when I, since I first read about the IDSA guideline guidelines back in, in 06, it, you know, it was just that it, it was like, okay, everybody in the world is, is, you know, that this is supposed to apply to them. And you think anything, anything you're talking about doesn't apply to everybody in the world. You know, there's, there's people that, you know, there's people that will, you know, some people, you know, mold is a, is, is a good example. I mean, you know, people that have a real problem with mold, as my daughter did at one time, they could just walk into a building and suddenly be really sick. Yeah. When I could be walking along with her, I'm like, I'm fine. So obviously she must be lying. <laughs> I'm fine. So, you know, and uh, it was that whole idea of sort of putting everybody in the same box and saying you get this you know you get this one little treatment that's you know fits into this little postage stamp and and if you don't you know totally correlate with that postage stamp you're you know you're you there's obviously something wrong with you <laughs> it's not Lyme disease just just your head and um, it was a very frustrating moment for our community and for anybody who doesn't know what we're speaking about it's a an article that this is october of 2020 an article that came out within the past week and you can look it up and it, it just spoke about long-term iv antibiotics basically causing so much damage and no good so that's what we're speaking about um but i want to go back to um the the program and, and your findings with these 14,000 people have registered as part of your, your, your collection of different data. It's, I'm curious, does it matter? Do you know if it matters at what point people received antibiotic treatment during their illness? Is there, have you, do you have any concrete information about, does it, do they have better results? I mean, can you have the same results and, and have relief even if you start antibiotic treatment five years into your process? Or do you have any of those um, results back? We're certainly looking at that sort of thing. I don't think that we've, um, we've come out with any of that. And so I, uh, I really can't speak to that in terms of my line data. I would say that I have met a lot and corresponded with a lot of, of Lyme patients over my, you know, 10 plus years of advocacy. And I am aware of people who have been sick for years, finally figure out they have Lyme disease, and they are helped. They are helped with treatment. Mm -hmm. And that's not saying everybody is, you know, but yes, I, in, in my opinion, it is possible. And it's, but I mean, that's why it's so important to keep looking, you know, keep, keep looking at things. And there are people that have had, now I don't have any personal um, experience with uh, disulfiram, but it's been very exciting to read about this is a new treatment for Lyme disease that is helping some people who have been sick for many years and tried other things and nothing helped. And yet, 
just from what I have read of it, it doesn't help everybody. <laughs> you know, it doesn't help everybody. But some people have been substantially helped. And so if I were in that situation, I would, of, of needing, you know, of, of being sick and, 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 and needing that, that is something that I personally would look at. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but I, but again, these are things that people have to, you know, determine for themselves in concert with their doctors. Um, but it's, but it's interesting to find that there are some people that are having, you know, substantial improvement from that. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I think it's very similar to a COVID-19 situation where a lot probably depends on your immune system at the time of infection, your genetics, your ability to overcome and respond. And, you know, we each hold different keys. So I've always been a fan of a multi-angled attack on Lyme disease. It does not do anybody any good to just think that one thing is going to work and cure everything right here or, or help um make, get into remission it's it's a it's a lot it's a lot of a lot of different things yeah. and um and i totally support antibiotic use and um and i'm glad that you you guys are making headway on that discussion um and just before i let you go i want to i want you to tell me a little bit about your your book i understand it's an ebook and I want you to let us know where we can get that and also um, what else it covers. Well, um, it's actually uh, available as an ebook or as a hard copy. Um, so you can, and, and it's, it's available through Amazon for either of, either, either of those things. Uh, I uh, co-wrote it with Sandra Berenbaum who is a Lyme literate psych psychotherapist who specializes in helping families dealing with Lyme disease. <laughs> that's a thing, that's, that's her whole business. She's a member of ILADS and uh, she, uh, and I you know, met her over the years at ILADS conferences when they used to have them in person. <laughs> this, this year's of course was online. Um, but uh, so, so we talked about uh, family issues. I've, I've often said it was the book that that I um, uh, the, the the book that I wish had been available to me. And it we don't get into telling you you need this or that treatment. It's just it's not it's not that kind of a book. It's family. And I just happened to be I arranged this before I did this for you. <laughs> I see that up there. That down. <laughs> so. Um, but uh, it's, so we talk about things like family life. We talk about things like schooling, which is a whole nother thing now because now people are doing schooling with, with uh, you know, there's a lot of other people having to, to, to deal with school issues. But at the time that we wrote this, you know, nobody knew that that was ever gonna happen. And basically, um, you know, remote learning wasn't an option for a lot of kids when it should be and um and so so we talk we talk about those things we talk about San, so sandy and i kind of traded off writing the the chapters and so um you know one of her chapters that i think is especially helpful for everybody is she talks about the concept of boundaries and something that I, I, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people experience this in different ways, but the parent of a kid that's sick, that the doctors say there's nothing wrong with them. There's a lot of people that look at you askance. They might be family members. They might be uh, school board personnel. <laughs> you know, there may be an awful lot of people that are thinking that you ought to live your life differently. And if particularly if a kid is, is, uh, you know, sort of, um, you know, having behavior issues because that are related to the illness. You know, some people might just say, oh, well, you just, you know, you're coddling them too much and they just got to whip them in the line. And so that concept of boundaries of figuring out, okay, this is my family and these are the decisions that we're making and this is how we're going to relate to other people. 
that was something that 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 I found very helpful just when I was reading it. You know, she and I, she's in Connecticut and I'm in California. And so we would, you know, write a chapter and email it to the other person and then they'd make comments and ask questions. And sometimes we'd both be on the phone at the same time, you know, looking at our computers and saying, oh, well, why don't we do this or change that? So actually it was, it was fun. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, a, it was a fun process. But, um, and then we just talked about, you know, different challenges that come up, different dietary challenges. You know, sometimes, again, we weren't telling you what your diet should be, but typically your doctor has recommendations related to this and it might be, you know, no sugar. Often if you're on antibiotics, they say no sugar. And sometimes, um, the mom's trying to, you know, get with the program, the no sugar program, and dad comes home with a bunch of jelly donuts. And so there can be issues, family issues <laughs> related to, uh, uh, you know, to, 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 to boundaries and, and, and getting parents getting on the same page. And of course, it's, uh, it's many families, unfortunately, uh, for this situation are uh, maybe the parents have split up. Maybe they split up before that happened. Sometimes they split up because the, the stresses of dealing with a sick child. So, you know, Sandy, I think just has some really um, useful things to say about a lot of, a lot of that. And one of the things that she, she points out in there is that she says that when, when people, and I've heard her say this in person too, when people come to her, you know, for, you know, she's, she's talking to the mom or whatever. She said she tries to help them come up with a plan. Even if the plan is just, okay, we're going to go to this doctor. We're going to do, you know, this or that. She said they feel more empowered if they have a plan of what they're going to do. And I know myself that when you're just overwhelmed with this, you don't have a plan, <laughs> you know? You know, you're just like, well, I don't know, what am I gonna do? And so just, so that idea of like, okay, what, you know, what can we do? So, so Sandy's a very, a very wise counselor. And, and so I really, uh, you know, I, 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 fully, I, I fully recommend that, that everybody, uh, you know, Pay, pay attention to, to what she has to say. I think she has a very interesting perspective. And something that she says, now she was already a family counselor and then she herself um, started having out of the blue migraines, had migraines for six years and increasingly debilitating migraines and went to all the headache experts and the migraine clinics and all those things. And it wasn't, and then she tells this story in the book, one day, she was brushing her teeth and she couldn't keep water in her mouth. Mm -hmm. And because her face was paralyzed, even though she'd had migraines for six months, it was the, the Bell's palsy just came on at that point. And then she went to the doctor and said, Oh, Bell's palsy, you know, you must have Lyme disease. And she started going to Dr. Burrascano, who was at that time the only person really treating Lyme disease, you know, in the country, and she happened to be, you know, within striking distance of him, and she went to him, and she got better, and then her migraines cleared up, you know, so, so how do you prove that Lyme disease caused the migraines? Well, maybe, you know, maybe that's not scientific proof, but that's certainly, uh, you know, as I say, an N of one, <laughs> that's one person's story. And so, so she, at that time, then when she got back to doing her work with people, cause she'd been out of commission for quite some time, uh, that she said she had um, a teenager who had been referred to her uh, because he had um, psychiatric problems and they were considering putting him in a psych hospital. And that somebody that knew her said, will you please talk to this guy and just see what's happening? And when she was, was a teenager who had been a very good student, very, you know, healthy, active, all this kind of thing. And then he started having hallucinations and all kinds of other problems. And they really thought he was psychotic. And, and when she was talking to him, it, she found out that he had been so interested in uh, nature and that sort of thing that he volunteered at a local 
nature center uh, in, this is back in New York somewhere, New York State, and that, uh, you know, one of those outdoor nature center things. And she was thinking, huh, I wonder if it might be Lyme disease. And she suggested that, because she's not a, you know, she's not a doctor, and, but she suggested to the parents, and he tested positive for Lyme disease, and he ended up, I think maybe going to Dr. Jones, I'm not positive, I don't remember that exactly, but he ended up going to somebody, and didn't have to go to the mental hospital. It, it really just goes to show, first of all, I love the idea of you bringing, as part of your book, um, a, a licensed mental health worker and somebody in that field because it really goes to show what a puzzling thing this looks like to the outside world. And if somebody's not in tune with Lyme and what those potential signs are, it could have disastrous effects. And I'm sure it has led many, many children in the wrong direction or young adults and even adults. Uh, so thank you for that. I, I wish we could speak for another two hours because I just think that we would learn so much from you. But I, I just, once again, I want to thank you for your time today, Dorothy. I'm in awe of, of how you have dedicated your life to helping understand, better understand this disease. And again, the book is titled, When Your Child Has Lyme Disease, A Parent's Survival Guide. And um, please visit Dorothy uh, at LymeDisease.org and at Lyme Times today. And I just want to wish you the very best. I hope that you'll come join us again sometime very soon. That would be great. If I could just put in one more pitch, I would like to encourage people that have, have been diagnosed with Lyme and have not yet signed up for my Lyme data, I would encourage you to enroll in it because you have useful information that can help other people. And um, I invite you to do that. Let's all do that today. What do you say? How long does it take to sign up for that? Well, it's, it's a process. I think it takes, it, it would probably take about a half hour. And if that's because they walk you through this thing where you're answering all these initial questions and then later it doesn't take as long uh, when they send you for updates. But, uh, but you can, like if you've gone into 10 minutes and you think, eh, I don't want to finish this right now, you can hold your place and come back and finish it later. Great. And they would get, then do that at LymeDisease.org, correct? Yeah. Or yes, there's a link to it on our website, but also you can go to MyLymeData.org. Either okay. one to the same place. Perfect. We have our assignments cut out for us. Thank you so much, Dorothy. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.